Happy New Year, Woodmont. Welcome to 2021, uh, a new year full of new beginnings, new opportunities, and new possibilities. Uh, we are taking a few weeks to uh, go just virtual again because of the uh, surge in cases in Tennessee, and uh, stay tuned and we'll let you know uh, when we will be back in the sanctuary uh, for worship. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Loving God, open our hearts and minds as we begin this new year that we can hear a word from you and that we can grow, that we can change. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I've always looked at the time between Christmas and New Year's as a, uh, a time to reflect uh, plan and, and, and ponder. I learned this from my dad years ago because he used to take that time to uh, do the same thing. And so this past week I was, uh, I was in Sewanee and I was doing exactly that, what I call the, the five R's, uh, resting, reading, relaxing, renewing, and rejuvenating. And it was, uh, it was good uh, to get to do that. Socrates famously said that the unexamined life is a life not worth living. And Aristotle said that our goal should not to be superior to our fellow humans, but our goal should be to be superior to our former self. And so as we begin this new year, I'm going to ask you the same two questions that I asked you last year. What is one thing that you learned in 2020? Of course, we all learned a lot, but what's one thing that you would say you really learned last year? And the second question is this, what are two things that you're gonna focus on in 2021? And I would encourage you to be as specific as you possibly can. Today, we're beginning a new sermon series that's called Morality, Meaning, and the Ten Commandments. And so today I'm going to give you an introduction to this series, and I'm also going to share with you uh, my core beliefs that I do every January. Just when we thought that 2020 was over and we were ready to enjoy a nice Christmas here in Nashville, we wake up Christmas morning to the news of a bomb that's gone off on 2nd Avenue. Miraculously, nobody other than the bomber was killed. But incredible damage was done to over 40 businesses. Many of the buildings, if you've seen the pictures, have now been deemed uh, uninhabitable. They're going to have to be torn down. And it just seemed like when we'd seen everything we could possibly see in the year 2020, we have that happen in our city on Christmas morning. What in the world would make somebody do something like that? Apparently... He'd been planning it for some time, if you've been reading the news reports. But yet, at the same time that he planned this awful explosion, he also gave people warning so that they could get out of their apartments and get out of uh, their downtown residences. What is it that makes some people moral and decent and makes other people do what this guy did on Christmas morning in downtown Nashville? Where does our moral sense come from? Is morality innate? Is it in our genes or is it taught and learned over time? 
Are we now living in an age where everybody is out just looking out for themselves? Or is there still hope that people will care for each other and serve each other? And how does all of this relate to our Christian faith? How does it relate to business? How does it relate to politics? How does it relate to being a follower of Jesus in the 21st century? These are the types of questions that we're going to be exploring in the coming weeks as we begin 2021. And I'm recommending a book for those of you who are interested in diving a little bit deeper. The staff is reading this book, and, uh, and I would highly recommend it. The book is titled Morality, Restoring the Common Good in Divided Times by Bra uh, British Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. Uh, Sachs was a scholar. Uh, he was a public intellectual. Uh, he just passed away a couple of months ago in November. But in this book, he explores many of the themes that we're going to be talking about in this new sermon series. At the very beginning of the book, in the introduction, he defines morality this way. A concern for the welfare of others, an active commitment to justice and compassion, a willingness to ask not just what is good for me, but what is good for all of us together. It's about us, not me. It's about we, not I, Sachs says, as it relates to morality. He also says in the chapter on loneliness at the beginning, he says, the human condition is overwhelmingly about relationships, about faithfulness, staying true, loyal, and committed to one another despite all the tensions and setbacks, misunderstandings, backslidings, and all the multiple ways in which we fall short. It is about consecrating the bonds between us. It is about transcending our solitude. What does it look like to live a moral life? What does it look like to serve the general well-being and not just the self? Now today, I'm introducing this series because I want to give you an overview of where we're going to go, but I also want to present to you a list of my core beliefs. This is something that I've done every year since coming to Woodmont back in 2007 uh, to begin every new year because I think it's very important when we start a new year to establish and reestablish what it is that we believe and ask the question, why? Why do we believe that? In Matthew 7, the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us about two people uh, who were building their houses, which is actually a biblical metaphor for building their lives. The first person, Jesus says, builds his house on rock, a firm foundation. And the storms of life come, and the rains fell, the winds blew, beat against that house. But it did not fall, Jesus says, because it had been built on rock. But the second person builds his house on shifting sand. And when the storms of life come, the, the rain falls down, the winds blew, and they beat against that house, it fell and great was its fall because it was built on shifting sand. And so Jesus then says very explicitly, whoever hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like the wise man who built his house on rock. But whoever hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like the foolish man who built his house on sand. So as we begin 2021, after a very challenging, taxing, exhausting 2020. 
What are the foundations upon which you're building your life? What are your core values, morals, beliefs, convictions? What's most important to you? What are you committed to? What are you putting in place to withstand the storms of life? Not, not if, but when they come. Uh, after 2020, we all know that the storms of life come and they can come when we least expect it. Somebody once said, you're either going into a storm, you're in the middle of a storm, or you're coming out of the storm. As it relates to coronavirus, we are still in the middle of a storm as we wait for vaccines to be delivered and administered. And I hope and encourage all of you when you get the chance to go and get your vaccine so that we can get to a better place. But I wanna share my core beliefs with you today and as I do this, I encourage you to think about your own and to ask yourself, what do I believe and do I live a life consistent with those beliefs? So first and foremost, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, as it says in the Apostles' Creed. I've always believed in God and I always will believe in God. Now, does that mean that I've never questioned or doubted God? Absolutely not, because all of us go through times in life when we question and doubt God. We go through times when we get angry with God, when certain things happen that we don't understand, when friends get sick or when a pandemic comes and we wonder, God, where are you? Why is this going on? Why are we having to deal with this? But as we grow older, hopefully we can all grow in our understanding of God and who God is. The first four commandments of the Ten Commandments have to do with our relationship with God. First, you shall have no other gods before me. Second, you shall not make for yourself an idol. Third, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. And fourth, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now the next six commandments have to do with our relationship with each other. And we're gonna get to those uh, later in this series. Rabbi Harold Kushner says, God is not a man who lives in the sky. The great New York preacher, Harry Emerson Fosdick, served the Riverside Church uh, years ago. He would come up to people when they would say, you know, I don't believe in God. He'd say, well, tell me about the God that you don't believe in. And they would describe it and he would listen. And he'd say, you know, I really don't believe in that type of God either. A master puppeteer inflicting pain on some people, but not on others. We must move to a deeper understanding of God and who God is. G.K. Chesterton once said that when people stop believing in God, it's not that they believe in nothing, it's that they believe in anything and everything. Frederick Nietzsche once predicted that Western society would replace God with money. And guess what? For many people, that prediction has proven to be true. Many people worship money. That is their God. That is their sole goal in life, is to make as much money as they can. But what they find is that ultimately will not make you happy. It might help, but it won't fulfill those deepest yearnings in your soul. I believe in a God of love, mercy, compassion, and forgiveness as revealed to us through Jesus Christ in the New Testament. I believe in a God that is the eternal home of the human soul. And as St. Augustine once said, Lord, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. I believe that God is a great mystery. And I think that we will spend our entire lives trying 
to ask these questions, these theological questions about who is God and how do we know God and how do we relate to God. Uh, we read in Micah 6, 8, how do we walk humbly with God? Now, I don't just believe in a God who is up there or out there or somewhere, but I believe in a God who is everywhere, including right here, right now in this sanctuary as I preach this sermon. The Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 17, it is in God that we live and move and have our being. There is no place where we can go where God isn't. God is like the air we breathe, the breath of life. God is within us and God is all around us. Next, because I believe in God, I also believe in love. First John says that God is love and those who love are born of God and know God. Whoever does not love does not know God for God is love. I believe that our world right now desperately needs more love. Love holds everything together. Love is the force that gets us through the worst. You know, human beings can hurt each other very deeply. We can say things and do things that are very hurtful. And so we have to be constantly reminded that God is calling us to love each other and not hurt each other. God is calling us to build each other up and not tear each other down. And part of learning what it means to love, I think, is learning to overcome fear. There is so much fear in our culture right now with this virus and with everything that's happening uh, around us. There is too much fear in our world. And the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. Love is the light that shines in the darkness. Fear is the darkness. We have to overcome it. Jesus taught agape love, unconquerable goodwill towards other people. That includes loving people who have hurt us in the past. It means loving people who have been difficult to love at times. And forgiveness is a very big part of this. We can't just say that we believe in forgiveness. We have to actually practice forgiveness. And you've heard me say over the years that forgiveness is a survival mechanism. You cannot live your life and not forgive because you will carry burdens that are far too great. Paul says this about love. He says, love is patient and love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And Paul says, love never ends. And as long as we believe in God and know God, then we must believe that love never ends. The single greatest challenge in life is learning how to love, loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Next, as a minister in the Reformed tradition of Christianity, I went to Princeton Seminary along with Justin and, and Donovan. Uh, I believe in Jesus Christ, who is God's Son and our Lord and Savior. My theology is very Christocentric. It's been heavily influenced by people like John Calvin and Karl Barth and Jürgen Moltmann and other theologians of the like. And I wholeheartedly believe that in Jesus Christ, God brings forgiveness, liberation, reconciliation, and new life into the world. 
Now, being a Christian means much more than just believing in Jesus. Knowledge of Christ cannot simply be academic knowledge or historical knowledge. It has to be what, what, what I would call faith knowledge. We have to know Christ on a personal level, and we have to let Christ transform our heart. If we want to become more like Christ, then we must develop what Paul calls the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Which one or two of these do you need to work on in 2021, and what are you going to do to work on them? Next, because I believe in Jesus Christ, I also believe in the importance of the local church. And 2020 was a very difficult year for the local church because we were told that we couldn't gather for so long. And we had to be creative and innovative to find ways to gather together. I believe with all my heart that the church is called to be missional. The church is called to be the hands and feet of Christ in the world, not just to gather together, but then to go out and make a difference in the community, in the world. I think we're being sent out to transform the world. Um, it's always been very clear to me that there is a direct correlation between how active or involved somebody is in the local church and one's mental, physical, and spiritual well-being. And research has proven this. I'm not just making it up. It'd be easy to, to just say that, but research has proven that marriages are stronger among couples who are involved in the church and families uh, are, are closer when the entire family is involved in the church. And the rates of divorce and depression and suicide are much lower uh, for families that are involved in the church. It doesn't mean that these things never happen, of course. It just means that being involved in the local church helps us deal with our problems and our challenges in life because we have a community to lift us up and to share our burdens and our joys with. Now, the church is not perfect because it's led by imperfect people, but the church is a place that we must remain committed to. Um, we won't always agree on everything. We know that, especially at a church like Woodmont, but I will tell you this. The church makes a difference. And maybe that's one of the things that we learned this past year, that when we were away for so long, and some people have, haven't been to church since last March, we miss the church. We miss the community. We miss being around each other and passing the peace and hugging each other. That is such an important part of our life together. Human beings are hardwired to worship, and if we don't come together and worship God, then we will find something else to go and worship. Next, as a Christian, I believe in the Bible, God's word, which provides a basic foundation for our lives. Now, let me say this clearly again this year. I do not worship the Bible. I worship God. I'm not a fundamentalist because academically I see some glaring inconsistencies with that particular approach to scripture. However, I don't just believe in throwing scripture out when it's inconvenient. We have to wrestle with the text. It's through the Bible that we come to know God and Jesus Christ the best. There's a guy that teaches at Boston University, a guy named Stephen Prothrow, and a number of years ago he wrote a book called Religious Literacy. And in the book, he says, many Christians in our country say that they believe in the Bible, yet they don't bother to take the time to read or study the Bible. 
And so Prothero makes a profound point. He says, for a book that is so important to so many people, the Bible is not read and studied enough. It remains a mystery for many. So I'm challenging you as we begin 2021, make reading scripture, even if it's a short passage every day, make that a priority in your life. Choose a place to start and then start. Start with Matthew, start with Proverbs, start with the Psalms, but, but read scripture, reflect upon scripture, because I promise you, God will speak into your heart and into your life. George Barna published some interesting statistics a few years ago as it relates to the Bible. He said 91% of households in the U.S. have a Bible. In 2015, five years ago, 33% read from the Bible outside of church, which was down from uh, 47% in 2010. Only 20% of adults have read the Bible from cover to cover, just 20%. And 45% of adults say that they are extremely or moderately knowledgeable of the Bible. And what we've seen over time is that even faithful Christians don't know the Bible very well. The only way you're going to know the Bible is to read it and study it. So clearly we have this culture where we have to recommit ourselves to studying the Bible. And, and if we believe that the Bible is God's word and contains God's truth for our lives, then we must make it a priority. Karl Barth was right when he said that we should approach every new day with the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. And we should see what the Bible has to say about the events that are happening in our world. As a Sunday school teacher in my home church once said, if you will carry the Bible with you when you get, when you're young, then the Bible will carry you when you get old. And I've always thought that that was profound wisdom and advice. Next, and certainly of the utmost importance, I believe in the power of prayer, which involves and includes both confession and forgiveness. For us as Christians, prayer is the means through which we communicate with God. And remember, communication means both talking and listening. And it's through prayer that we can forgive other people and that we can ask for forgiveness ourselves. Prayer is a mystery. We don't understand how it works. But what we do know is that when we pray, it makes a difference. And so it doesn't matter where you pray or when you pray or how you pray or the fancy words you use. All that matters is that you pray and that you open your heart for God to speak to you when you pray, that you don't just spend the entire time talking and requesting and asking. The real secret to the power of prayer is not to see it as some magical means of escaping our problems in life, but as a means of asking God for help in facing life's troubles and challenges. Somebody once said that through prayer, we should ask God for stronger backs, not necessarily for lighter loads. Next, I believe in marriage, home, and family life. And I'm going to say more about this next Sunday uh, as we continue the morality series. Uh, but I have a 10-year-old daughter, an 8-year-old son, and a 4-year-old son. And so life for Megan and me is very busy. There's a lot going on, uh, even during COVID time. Uh, family life is not easy, but it's so important and it matters. Um, home and family life is the greatest source of love, support, and joy in this world, but not everybody gets to experience that. The quality of one's home and family life is one of the most important factors in determining uh, our outlook in the world. 
Because children who grow up and are born into a healthy and happy home, speaking the language of love, that's what they'll know. They'll know how to love and how to spread love. But not every child gets that. Every family has issues and problems. Your family is not unique. I do a lot of counseling as a minister, and I'll hear people all the time, they'll say, well, you're never going to believe this. And I'm like, try me. (laughs) I've heard it all at this point in my career. All families have baggage and issues and, and challenges and troubles. But real family is where you are loved and cared for no matter what, and where you can always go to feel welcome no matter what. And if things happen to fall apart in your marriage or in your family, then guess what? The church is here to support you and to pick you up and to carry you forward. The the church is also your family. As someone who believes that faith should be able to withstand the test of mind, heart, and circumstance, I believe in free will and the consequences of it. Frederick Buechner, one of my favorite authors, says this. He says, the greatest single argument against the existence of God is the presence of evil in the world. This argument is simply stated, if there is a God who is both good and all-powerful, then why do terrible things happen in life? Why is there cancer? Why are there brain tumors? Why are there pandemics? These are hard questions. And Beekner gives his answer when he goes on to say, God wants us related to him in the same way that children are related to their parents. In other words, God wants us to love him. And if our love is to be spontaneous and real, then we must be free to not love him with all of its grim consequences and human suffering. Evil exists in the world, not because God is indifferent or powerless about it, but because humans are free. And free we must be if we are to love freely. Free we must be if we are to be human. We can make a decision to love and support somebody, or we can make a decision to hurt and harm somebody. But God gives us that choice. And yes, there are many things, medical things, that we don't understand, that that we can't explain. But we do have free will, and we do have free choice, and we do play a role in how this narrative, this drama called life, how it unfolds. Love does not control. Out of love, God has created the world, and God hopes that we will live in faith and love, but the choice is always ours to make. Finally, today... I believe in life after death. Death will always be a great mystery to those of us who are on this side of it. But I believe that life goes on beyond the grave because of the words of Jesus who said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And I am convinced, even though I don't completely understand it, I am convinced that one day, we will be reunited with those whom we have loved and lost in this life. And so I look forward to seeing my mother again and my grandparents again. I look forward to seeing friends that I have lost. And what a great day that will be on the other side. So these are my basic beliefs. And as we kick off this series on morality, I wanted to share them with you again because I think that they're important. And I want to challenge you to think about what your beliefs are. Um, We're in a time where I think some fundamental things need to change in our culture. We need to look out for each other. 
We need to be more convicted and committed to the things that we say we believe. We need to treat each other better, listen to each other. Civility needs to make a comeback. We need to work for the common good. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about how we can do just that. Amen.